0: Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly.
1: You don't need to be loud, Nathan, you just need to be commanding.
2: With all due respect, it's different for me, Miss Walton. You command every room you walk into. Oh,
1: hardly. Have you ever been in a room full of football club chairmen? No. Every time I walk into one of those meetings, they look at me like some schoolgirl with pigtails. Oh, you'd look well fit with pigtails. I do, but I have a secret. I make myself big. Before I go into the room, I find somewhere private, I stand up on my tiptoes, put my arms in the air, and make myself as big as possible to feel my own power.
2: (sighs) like this. Mm -hmm.
0: What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learned from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Devalia,
2: And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe.
0: Welcome to another week of What Would Ted Lasso Do? This week we are covering Season 2, Episode 5, Rainbow. And this episode was written by Bill Rubel, and I think that's how you pronounce his last name. And directed by Erica Denton. I feel like we're really starting to get into the meat of season two now. Anyway, how are you? Sorry, I just wanted to jump in because I was so excited.
2: Well, yeah, I just finished the episode and I was like, do 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 get the rainbow. I don't know the words. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, but
1: the song, the rainbow, there's so much goodness. I felt so happy and giggly after this.
2: I felt like I was experiencing some rom-communism. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying here? Like, oh, this was, this was good from the get-go. And a pivotal moment, apparently, for two individuals, if not more.
0: Yeah, tell me more.
2: Well, I mean, we start off the show with Nate walking into the uh, restaurant to get the, the window table. Which I just found that whole experience so fascinating because, you know, he's trying to be confident. He's trying to like be assertive. The person's like, you don't really matter. And then at one point he goes, well, I know Roy Kent. And then she goes, oh, well, when he requested the, you know, we can give it to him. And it was just like, <laughs> I oh, know. Well, it was like, oh, like all the things. And he's thinking, like, what do I need to do? Like, do I need to become famous? Like, like this is. This is like, I feel like a pivotal moment and probably the first moment where I feel like Nate is the feature of the entire episode. I don't remember the last time it was like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So like this, this episode, I think we've really got two kind of parallel stories going, right? So we've got two people, Nate and Roy, each of whom who were not coaches last season. Mm-hmm but are now kind of stepping into this space, right? Or being asked to step into this space. And they approach it very differently because they are they have very different personalities um and I think confidence levels, right? Obviously. And so yeah, Nate's story is it's you're right like I we haven't seen him I think be kind of the center of something like a full episode like this um I think ever as far as I can remember. And so we get to see a lot of different aspects to his personality and kind of where he's at and what's going on with him. For me, it was a really fascinating look at like two ways of being a leader or like stepping into leadership. And so that was like a big thing for me. But yeah, so that whole scene at the beginning with the restaurant, like my heart just like went out to him. Like it just felt terrible. And it really set up to me like, A lot of what happened throughout this episode and so you know we both do a lot of work in the equity inclusion belonging field and for me this episode was a great like case study in microaggressions when i teach it i talk about subtle acts of exclusion yeah and it started like right up front and to your point like that exact moment where it's like okay she says we don't do reservations for the window table But then when he name drops Roy, it sounds like she'll make an exception for Roy (laughs) and reserve the window table. And it just, I don't know, that whole thing was just so terrible. But then throughout the episode, we saw moments of this, you know?
2: And I also just think this idea of like, you know, this is you know, I don't know what goes on next with Nate, but I've heard rumors or rumblings, right? But maybe, and this is like the moment, right? It only starts with him simply just wanting the window seat, right? And if someone was just polite to him, then maybe he wouldn't, you know, go down this darker path that you kind of feel they're building up to. Yeah, it didn't have to be this way, right? And you can even see it as he's beginning to like practice and he like, you know overreacts and like raises his voice later on in the episode when he's practicing and doing the role playing you're like Ugh. you're like who is that person you know who is this person that's coming out
0: i think it really goes to the heart of like what it's like to be a new leader like you have basically two settings right <laughs> so you're either kind of like unsure of yourself and you know trying to like apologetically doing your job mm-hmm. or you're like in full on attack mode because you feel like you need to, like how Rebecca says, you don't have to yell. You just need to assert yourself. And so there's that nuance of like, well, how do I assert myself Yep. when I already don't, like I feel really small. Yep. The only way I think that I can assert myself is by being loud and loud equates to big I thought that was a really beautiful example of that because I think a lot of leaders struggle with that, right? Like, especially new leaders, like we have those two. So, yeah. And so we see that Nate's in this place. He doesn't understand like how to, like he doesn't understand that middle ground yet. Like it's just all or nothing.
2: And he partly doesn't understand it because he doesn't know who he is, right? He's like not grounded in anything. Yes, he's attached to AFC Richmond, but he also doesn't feel very comfortable in his role there. Like If he was more confident and rooted in one place, that would extend to him being able to ask for things. But the fact that he isn't causes such insecurity, and then it just comes out in very potentially toxic ways.
0: Yeah. And the other thing about this is like, you know, when we're thinking about subtle acts of exclusion or microaggressions, like, I don't like the term microaggressions, because I think it causes a lot of people to get defensive. So none of us wants to think that we are, you know, in some way participating in microaggressions against other people, right? Because the term aggression is like built into the word. And so it makes you feel defensive, but subtle acts of exclusion, like I think if, if we're really honest with ourselves and we look at like our own actions throughout the day and stuff like that, there are moments when this happens and it can be inadvertent. Sometimes it's overt, you know, but the other part of this though is how it's received by the other person. So in Nate's case, there were definitely some really like real kind of acts of exclusion, but there were also ones that were perceived by him. And I think this is another important piece is like the lived experience of the person that's on the receiving end is really everything, right? So even if I don't think I'm doing something wrong, if the other person feels that way and I've made them feel small or whatever, it's going to impact them in some way, you know? And so in this episode, we see like this thing with the the restaurant was pretty like overt, but then the free coffee makers, like all the players are getting free coffee makers and he can't get one. It was nothing against him. Like, Keely is, I think, his biggest champion. But these are specifically for the players. But he feels slighted as a result, right? And then the one that really caught me, though, was when <laughs> when Nate offers to be the big dog to talk to Isaac, and Ted starts laughing. And Beard realizes right away, like, this kid's not, like, he really thinks that he could do this. And you see that Nate's like embarrassed. He gets up, he walks out. And then the other part of that that was interesting was that Ted has given him an indoor whistle, which which I get it. I get it. Like he didn't understand. He didn't un- have the capacity to understand when to blow his whistle. But to me, like that seems like it would be something Ted would want to teach him rather than like, let me just take away your voice right up front by giving you a whistle that you can't actually blow. Like, you know.
2: Oh, man. I think that's also hard, right, for a leader because, uh, you know, Ted doesn't know that he just got excluded from that fancy restaurant, right? He doesn't know all the things that have happened that have led up to this moment. Yeah, he's just being real. And he's just like, yeah, we're going to bring in Roy. Because seriously, if there was a choice between Roy and Nate, like Nate doesn't have buy-in from Isaac, right? I don't think Nate could have done what Roy did because he's never been on the pitch. so. I could understand Ted's stance now having said that like how would you know because then he scampers off into his room by the way he has still has his own room which is he should be really happy about but he probably sees it's not that big of a deal but yeah it's like and then there was and then Beard said something about Fanny and I didn't understand what that was did you understand that?
0: I think it's because um, when they first came in and they asked what was wrong with Isaac, Nate suggested maybe it was piles, and I think piles is some kind of a like a I don't know if it's like hemorrhoids or I'm not entirely sure what piles are.
2: But oh goodness, oh okay.
0: Actually, I totally probably just messed that up, so I don't know what it is, but it's it's not good. Right. So that's the British version of whatever it actually is, and so. Beard went through that list of things, like words he's not willing to accept. And Piles was one of them. And then he went back. So instead of like, but or whatever, he's like, but I will accept Fanny. And so I think he was just like trying to.
2: He was trying to calm down the mood, right? Yeah. And then, they, and then we cut to the scene where they're like showing the, the film, right? That, you know, shows how like angry Isaac is. And I actually kind of understand his frustration, right? They're playing badly, Things haven't got seemed to have gotten better. And what's interesting about that clip I found was that that's the first time showing in in game play for the whole season. Like we haven't seen that since since the penalty kick. And it just shows how like not good they are. (laughs) But then talk about attunement. They start talking about romantic comedies and rom communism and everyone is vibing again. And you're like, well, you know, at least the team is like you know, on the same page. And I think that's the first time the doctor is able, I think, sees Ted, you know, shining in his element and actually being like, hey, we're in a dark forest right now, but it will all work out. You know, we just need to have zero expectations. and We just got to let go. And then Isaac's like, you suck. And you're like, well, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not that, but okay. You know, (laughs)
0: <laughs> I want to talk about the dark forest for a second. So like what came up for you as you were watching that part?
2: Which part? The whole thing?
0: Like his his whole speech about the dark forest.
2: Well, I think it was I think it was valid. I think it was, you know, he really does believe the world is like a rom-com where it's going to eventually work itself out, you know, and we have to trust it to a point. And I was actually just having this debate on a heartfelt mastermind that I'm part of, the difference between doing and being. Like, how do you find the balance between doing and being what he's really pitching is a lot of being like, we just need to be ourselves. We just need to trust, you know, trust the moments. We just need to be fully present and look out for one another and things are going to work out. And I believe that to a point, like there's a being part, but then there's also the doing part of like, you know, we have to deliver, you know, maybe it's the, both the masculine and feminine where we have to like come through. I think he's trying to like smooth it over instead of like getting into the details of like, okay, what do we need to do to actually get out of this dark forest rather than just being like, we're in the dark forest and we'll eventually get out. That's true. But we do have to proactively do something to get out.
0: Yeah. I like this concept of a dark forest because I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, when we're in the middle of adversity it's sometimes easy to just get stuck there and feel like that's what it's always going to be like. So I like that analogy to the dark force is always in the middle. Like, we're not going to be here forever. But having said that, to your point with, like, Isaac's pissed. And the team is, like, demoralized. Like, they're not playing well. They recognize they're not playing well. And for me, like, the more that his story went on, it felt a little bit on the like starting to move towards the line of of toxic positivity and um, spiritual bypassing, you know, so like, it's this idea like spiritual bypassing is this idea for people who don't know of where, you know, we, we try to kind of sidestep or avoid any kind of, you know, unresolved and emotional issues or adversities. And we use a lot of platitudes, right? So we'll say things like, well, it is what it is, or this too shall pass. And that's kind of what he was doing, you know? It's all going to work out in the end. It may not work out like like you thought it would or you want it to, but it's all going to work out. And, And that's fine. Like there's definitely wisdom in those moments for sure. And we need some of those platitudes from time to time. But I think when you're in the midst of dealing with an issue like that, that kind of optimism it it really just feels forced, and yeah, I think looking at the faces around the room, like that was kind of the reaction that I was seeing too, like even when he started with the roM communism, <laughs> beard was like, "Oh." <laughs>
1: But they got into it. I mean, they got into it. They started saying all the movies, all the movies, which was pretty awesome to hear them, you know. And then
2: even even Jamie's jumping in.
0: I loved that last week. We were all about all the Christmas movies, and this week mm-hmm. there are a ton of rom coms, you know, that are uh, recognized throughout this. This whole episode. And that's awesome. Like, I think that one of the articles that I was reading, it was actually really interesting. They were talking about how this idea of masculine and feminine, and that there's something about like a sports kind of show or story, which Ted Lasso originally was kind of that's what people thought it was, right? And that comes from a genre that's generally like inherently masculine. Mm -hmm. And that what Ted Lasso has done is they've acknowledged that those like sports type of thing, like shows and movies owe to romantic comedies, which are often treated as inherently feminine. Mm -hmm. An interview that Jason Sudeikis did, you know, he talked about like with the show that they were attempting with the show is it's about kindness. It's about forgiveness. It's about empathy and that it's about the divine feminine. And I was like, that's amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, I, I just thought that was such an interesting way to think about it though, that like, You know, they're looking at in this kind of historically masculine space, they're bringing in what is something that's been considered historically feminine. Yep. But using it as a way to like demonstrate these these really important points, you know?
2: Look at how much how much of his leadership style is divine feminine, right? It's collaborative, it's attunement, it's play. It is like trusting your intuition. He's letting go of expectations in many ways that are not. And that's fascinating that he's doing all this stuff, you know, and he's created this like really safe space where everyone feels comfortable enough to share. I don't know. It's just been awesome. It's just been awesome. Having said that, what's going to happen? So yeah. Okay. So anyway, moving on to the Rebecca giggle. There was some Rebecca (laughs) giggling and I was like, what's this giggling? And then I was like, oh, I had totally forgot about the banter app. And then I was like, oh gosh, she's still on that banter app, still bantering away with someone that she's never seen before. And I'm thinking like nothing of it. I think it's not no big deal. I'm like, whatever, you know, okay. Is it just filler? You know, are they just talking right now? and it was such an interesting image because her and Keely are talking and then players are coming out of the locker room and i had never seen i don't remember the last time i saw a shot like that where i just assumed one of them was going to stop and like interact with
0: them. i know me too yeah especially
2: jamie because i'm like jamie's definitely going to like flirt with her or something and try to sleep with her like something And he doesn't. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like distracted. Like I can't focus on their conversation about banter and branding and all this stuff because I'm like, what's happening in the background? Like who's going to take the coffee machines?
0: Yeah, no, I thought that that was interesting too. I kind of um, really got stuck with that. I had to keep rewinding to hear their conversation because I was really focused on the, the guys behind the two.
2: Yeah, Yeah, did I miss something? I only watched it once. So I was like, did I miss anything crucial there? I just remember it was like branding. It was like a branding with dating argument.
0: Yeah, so Keeley's whole point, Was that because Rebecca was like, well, you know, people who are really good at their jobs don't have to announce that they're really good at their jobs.
2: Yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah. And Keely just takes it in stride. She's like, actually, that's not true anymore. It's about personal branding. And then as they're going through like her trying to figure out how to respond to this person, Keely brings up like, you know, even in that scenario, like you're you're trying to sell yourself. So like it's still branding, even in the dating scenario. So
2: I just loved that that one player, the the Jamaican player, was just like, could I take this and then give it back to you for money? I was like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, buddy.
0: So he's actually French-Canadian.
2: Oh, he's French-Canadian. Oh. Oh, they, yeah. it's, not the, it's not the Jamaican Mm-mm. player? Oh. No, no. Okay. Oh, because he's the goalie. He's the goalie, right?
0: The role, yeah. So that was one of the the whole thing on banter with Rebecca and this guy, is also a, a nod to I think you've got male.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So with you've got mail, Kathleen, the woman, uh Meg Ryan's character, she her, yep. her screen name is Shop Girl. And here we have Boss Girl.
2: Oh.
0: Yeah. And then Tom Hanks's character, his his screen name is, I think it's like I don't know what the first letters are, but it's 152. So I don't know if it's NY152 or whatever. And this is LDN, so London 152. So that was a cute little, you know, callback to that. I love that movie. So adorable.
2: I always get that movie confused with Sleepless in Seattle. I feel like both of them. (laughs) Because
1: it's the same, it's the same actor. So you're like, dude, I don't understand what's going on. Like, you
2: could splice the movies together and be like, I can't tell which movie we're talking about until the AOL yeah chat comes up, and then I'm like, I know what this is.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because there's a lot of sleepless in Seattle references in this um, episode as well. But yeah, so one thing that I noticed, and I've never noticed this before, when they were in that like in the room watching the the play. And then they start going through all the rom-coms. Every single, like, other than J-Lo, every other actor, actress movie, like, everyone was white. And I was like, huh. Like, I never noticed that before.
2: I can only remember in Love Actually where there was, like, a interracial couple. Like, yeah, even in that one, that one guy was trying to break them up. So, like...
0: <laughs> Yeah, I just I found that really interesting. And I think it hit me more just because I was already kind of in that mindset of subtle acts of exclusion for Nate. And so when they started like, throwing all those out, I was like, huh, I just have never I mean, I grew up watching rom coms, you know, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, I just, I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, so I want to I wanna talk about Rebecca and Keely on their mission to help Nate really step into himself, right? Step into that space of assertiveness. I loved that moment of Rebecca and her, like, fierce
1: warrior pose. Like, <laughs> when she made that noise, I was like, what is that noise! Oh like, And then,
2: and people after for people forget she was in Game of Thrones. She was the shame, yeah, shame. Like she was so intimidating in that in that show that I was like, oh my gosh, that is her! Oh my goodness, that's her in Game of Thrones, which I just watched.
0: Yeah, and for all of our listeners, Jeff just reenacted the pose, so <laughs> just so you can have that
1: visual.
2: I breathed it in, and then it was like. I didn't expect that noise to
1: come out. Like, I was like, is that a snake? Like, I'm just trying to understand what she's doing before she
2: goes in. But I might start doing that before I speak anytime from now on.
0: Yeah. Like I, like I can see how that would like make you feel like, cause she said, I make myself as big as possible, you know? And, and this is something that I've actually really been working hard at lately is what I'm calling stepping into my own bigness now, because I think it's something we all struggle with, right? Like it's pretty rare that people who are truly just so confident all the time. And so there is this element of like, what, what do I have to do to like build myself up to feel big and to be able to step into that space with that level of confidence and, and feeling like I belong? Like ultimately it comes down to this feeling of belonging, right? Like I belong in this space. I get to be here and i get to take up as much space as i need and i think that that's like that is not easy especially as a woman um and especially as a woman like her in a space of all men right like she's like she said like you know i walk into these football club meetings and you know i'm the only woman and they treat me this way and and i believe that like we see her as this fierce person who we've seen scheming and doing all these other things but like i am sure that in those spaces like The level of misogyny that must be there, like, must be off the charts, you know?
2: Yeah, must be massive. And remember her old coach, that old coach, she's such like a misogynist, you know? Yeah. It reminds me, and let me know if you felt this way, but Elizabeth Gilbert would always talk about how whenever she was in rooms, she would notice that, you know, there's not a calmness or or a relaxation to many of the women in the room and she was just like you know what i want to be i want to be calm in the room to communicate to everybody else that they can be as well in these like tense atmospheres have you ever noticed that
0: oh yeah for sure you know and that i think really goes to like this idea of mirror neurons right like if i can show up and be calm we have mirror neurons in our brain that mimic what the people around us are doing and so mm-hmm. If we show, like how we show up is how other people then start to co-regulate with us. It's interesting, I think, especially for women, because like if you are in a room full of men like that, your natural inclination is to make yourself big and powerful and loud so that you are heard in that space. But, mm-hmm. but even then, you're usually like often not heard, right? And so there was a really great article written by this woman who used to work, I think, in the Obama administration, and she talked about how a lot of times when you're in meetings and it's a mixed group of men and women, and I don't know, maybe like this is changing now, but I I know that I definitely experienced this, which was that you will put forth an idea or make a comment or something, and then five steps later, a man will make the same point, Mm -hmm. and then that's what gets recognized, right? And so this woman talked about how in the Obama administration like she and a lot of the other women like made a pact with each other to amplify each other's voices. And so when they'd be in meetings, yeah, they would like one woman would make a point or whatever and then several other women around the table would like reamplify that and make sure that like she got the credit and stuff like that That's awesome. until like it was heard that it came from her, you know? And I just thought like, wow, that's like, that's really like incredible. And unfortunately it's just kind of where we're at still, I think. And in terms of like the intentionality with which it has to be done,
2: but. And also I found it also the just, just a position. I don't know how to say that word right now where it's Nate asking these two strong divine feminine women to find his confidence, right? You know, this is a man, you know, that, and he's being taught by women how to find like his masculine, like they're helping him find his healthy masculine, which is really fascinating right there. And you're like, okay, I see you. This is complex.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but that's true.
2: And then he comes out when he like screams, you know, during the role play, you know, and she's like, well, that's a bit too much. And then like, that's this toxic masculine. But also I love this because this is the stuff I do, right? Like
1: role play. This is the role play. Like if you, you know, I say this all the time,
2: like if you haven't practiced right? Then how do you know how it's going to feel? And I love that they actually play it out. And people are like, oh, well, it's like pretend it does not real. And he's like, no, it actually feel you feel you embody it. And then he was able to do it later on. I mean, he did it in a definitely different way than any of us saw him doing it, but he did it nonetheless.
0: But I also thought it was funny that he was just assuming that Jade would say his name wrong. (laughs) And so, like, you know, he like immediately is like, no, it. And then he's like, oh, yeah, that actually is my name. And so he
2: had a pre prep. He was like, I'm ready. I'm ready for a fight. And the person's like, I don't even remember. I don't even know if that person remembered him at first. Right.
0: So Rebecca told him, like, you need to find your own thing that helps you feel that sense of bigness. Right. And it's interesting to me that what he chose was berating himself and spitting at himself.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was a little scary. That was a little scary for me. I was just like, "Ooh."
0: Yeah. So tell me, tell me what came up for you? Why was it scary? You well, it just scary.
2: was like I felt that moment. I mean, again, I don't know what happens next, but I've heard rumblings. But like, there's a switch. There's almost like something switched in him, and he's like, "This is now my new personality." And even how he comes out, he comes out with like a certain suaveness, like um. It reminds me of what remember in remember in Family Matters with Steve Urkel turns into Stefan. You know, I don't know if you remember
0: that. Yes.
2: but it's it's that same level of confidence, but there's some there's something in my opinion that's off about it. You know, there's something that is like yeah. it's still rooted in a toxic, insecure masculinity, but he's. You know, and it's, and in a very commanding sort of way, like even how he calls his parents over, you know, I think he does a really good job talking to Jade, right? Yeah. He's talking to Jade and he goes, Hey, don't, don't get too comfortable over these seats. And then he talks to Jade, you know, really nice. And then he just like, you know, whistles at his parents.
1: And it's like both okay and, you know, and I know he's looking for approval
2: from his father. Like, I get that, man. i felt that. i felt that look. Oh, that look is the toughest. But in the end, I don't know if he got more approval from his dad or not. I don't know if it was, it looked, maybe he did. I'm not really sure. It felt weird to me. It almost felt like looking at his suit and how uncomfortable his suit was. That's how it looks for him to put on this new personality, in my opinion. I don't think it fits, but he's gonna wear it really tight. And that makes him very stiff as he's trying to be so confident. That's what I got.
0: No, I agree. I think it, it's not a good fit. First of all, I think like he's doing everything for the wrong reason, right? Like everything is about trying to impress his dad. Yep. And that is like a no-win
2: situation yep.
0: <laughs> when you've like grown up that way, if your dad is not impressed with you this is not going to be the thing to change it. (laughs) And, you know,
2: (laughs) this one table is going to change it all. Right.
0: Yeah. You know, but also like, yeah. And I, you know, and I am curious now, like his inclination to like snap and whistle at his parents, you know, and his dad says, you know, we're not dogs or I'm not a dog or something like that. And,
2: Oh, is that what his dad said?
0: Yeah. Oh. And so like when he walked up, so no, I don't think he impressed his parents (laughs) or his dad at least, but like, I, I wonder where that behavior was learned. Like, I wonder if his dad had ever done that, you know?
2: Now I'm forgetting what was the banter between his parents behind? Do you remember? Oh, now I'm forgetting. I got to look back at that.
0: Wait, what do you mean behind?
2: So he's asking for a table and then his dad said something like, don't babble on to, you know, and then his mom said something. I forgot what she said. Right. So but that gave a dynamic.
0: Like she basically told him to stop and then like apologized for him, which I think a lot of women do when they have men like this in their lives. But then she <laughs> she explained that he had been wanting to eat the saganaki all week. So saganaki is this like Greek cheese. Mm. <laughs> so, so that was like her excuse was that he basically was hangry. But yeah, no, you're right. It did. I think it did show a lot about the dynamic between them, though, right? Yeah. So what this also brought up for me, though, this part about him spitting at his image, so when I talk about like self-compassion, one of the things that we really try to contrast it against is self-esteem. And so I think like, you know, Rebecca and Keely are trying to build up Nate's self-esteem yeah. and self-confidence. And Kristen Neff, who is like um, one of the top researchers in the field of self-compassion, she gives a really good explanation for how self-esteem, like we don't want to work towards self-esteem actually, especially in w- with children and stuff like that. We actually want to build the self-compassion muscle rather than the self-esteem because mm-hmm. self-esteem um, is something that tends to be rooted in judgment. Yeah. And so with our esteem, we're, you know, am I a good person or a bad person? And oftentimes in order to build ourselves up, we will push others down oh. when we're trying to build up our own self-esteem and self-confidence. Interesting. Whereas with self-compassion, it's more about the common humanity of it. And it's more about being forgiving and being open and and going back to kind of that whole curiosity piece again, right? That was really interesting. And the fact that he would choose to be so hard on himself. Cause a lot of people who become leaders and high perform and who are high performers and things like that, there is this belief that we have that if I'm not hard on myself, like I'm never gonna move up and succeed and things like that. And there's just so much research out there around the fact that self-compassion is actually a much better way of operating compared to the perfection. Them and, and being harsh. Well, like
2: also the whole idea of like the self-compassion also raises all boats, right? Like that's the whole strategy of lasso, of beard, you know, and, you know, last season when you think of Rebecca, you know, she felt as if she had to be better than her husband, right? And it's that whole supremacy model of like, there can only be one, there can only like Nate really believes there's only one person that can be in a position of power right now as I'm in this restaurant. And it's gonna be me. Then it's gonna be Jade, then it's gonna be my dad, then it's gonna be Jade this person. And that's just kind of sad, right? And it makes me think, I don't know why it makes me think of this, but I'm feeling the muse visiting me, right? I think of, you know, in a lot of Filipino families, especially, you know, in the Philippines, there's a lot of sons and daughters that like live with their parents until they get married, you know, and they stay really like close to their parents. But as part of that, because sometimes they live with them for a really long time, sometimes until they die, you almost lose the ability to find true self-esteem because it's still connected to you being a kid in that dynamic. And I don't know if Nate lives with his parents or not, but the vibe, the vibe is that he spends a lot of time with them, right? So it's like hard for him to get out of that dynamic and own who he is separate from that. And who knows what his life is, was before then. But you know, it just seems like he was the kit guy at AFC Richmond and probably lives with his family and. And has never had to really assert himself. And now he's having this opportunity to do it at work, but because he's never gotten this chance in any other setting, this is it. Like that, getting that window table is the most important thing in his life, right? And if he doesn't get it, it's going to crush him. And that is maybe how a lot of insecure leaders feel is of like, if I don't get this one thing to happen... Everyone's going to see me as weak, so I got to win on every single front. But then it's just like, while someone that is rooted in both their like, divine feminine and healthy masculine and have had many trips right and many failures, they're like, we're going to be okay. right? Ted's been here before. He's just like, we're going to be okay. I used to coach a team. They sucked. And then we got better and then we were awesome you know, I still believe that's the same way in which it's going to play out here.
0: Yeah. And I think to your point, like, it's not unique to Filipino culture, right? Like, I think Mm. most cultures that are non-Western operate in that way. And I think it raises a really good point, which is that, you know, there's so much about the people around us that we don't know and we don't see. And so we don't know the baggage that people are carrying into different scenarios and situations. And so that's another place where that going back to curiosity again is so helpful, right? Because the cultural piece of this is huge. Yeah, Like for most of us who grew up in other cultures or split cultures, yeah, like we carry a lot of this into the room with us, you know, as we try to step into trying to figure out who we are separate from all of that. And so, yeah, that's a really interesting point.
2: And then, and trying not to pass down that historical trauma, like, who? way that is hard for a lot of people. So like yeah, you're right. Like so I mean I'm trying to have uh, again, I'm trying compassion to have more compassion for Nate. But when he spits on himself and then pushes the doors open, right? And then even at the end he pushes both doors open, right? He's like I got to make myself as big as possible and people are cheering him on and being like, "Hey, you look great." I don't know. Not a good vibe.
0: yeah i give you the best vibes i know seriously okay let's shift over to roy's story Mm. this i loved this storyline too you know so there's this whole aspect of roy also we've talked about this already in this season is in this space of trying to figure himself out Mm -hmm. right like who is he if he's not a player on this team and so now he thinks he's a pundit right like he's like When Ted's like, you know, why don't you come back and coach? He's like, no, like I, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm good at it. I don't need to, you know, come back and I don't want to come
2: back and coach. I get retweeted. Look at, look at the value. I get a lot of retweets and a lot of gifs. That's how I call them too. I call them gifs. I don't call them gifs. I get a lot of gifs.
0: And that was a joke, I think from season one, right? Because I think when Rebecca is talking to Higgins at one point, she says something about a gif and he says I think some people pronounce it gif or I don't know but anyway like they they brought that back again which I thought was kind of funny but yeah so this this whole kind of section is about like Roy stepping in to kind of fix Isaac get him out of his head I thought about you as I was watching this yesterday because I was like oh this is like your jam right like coming back to like it's all about play and it's all about remembering like the joy in the thing that you're doing, right? And I think most all of us forget that. It's, a, well, I shouldn't say you because you're really good about it. But like, I know for me, I have stepped so far away from that in a lot of ways. And like, just that joy of being out there and doing the thing you love. And, and I loved that that was, that was his whole thing to Isaac. Like, you used to play this for fun, like go out there and play it for fun and it just knocks him like right out of his head and into his body and into the game and oh my gosh
2: yes i this part i love about isaac because as i you know as we've talked about before right my whole org is rediscover your play right like that's the answer to a majority of our you know the questions that we seek and just having roy you know put him in there him feeling like oh i'm just with all these scrubs you know What am I going to get out of this? And then they just take him from the beginning. And then he's just like, I don't see the point of this. And he's like, just go fucking have fun, you know, and reminding him not only that he gets to play, but that he actually gets to play for a living. Like he gets paid to play the game he loved to play when he was a kid, that he would play, you know, for 12 hours a day. And his parents had to scream for him to come in. And now he does this for... You know, for a job. Right. And, and just that you could then see the creativity of Isaac as he does the shoulder pass, you know, and then he does this little nice little kip early later on. And then the one that I love the most was when he gets the pass and talk about a two man. he lets the ball go through his legs a really cool Mbappe type move so that uh, the girl that Ted usually plays soccer with can score. And then he polishes her shoe and you're like, dude, like this is why I play because this is just so much fun. And I would play even if I wasn't getting paid, but guess what? I actually also get paid to do this.
0: I don't think that is the girl that Ted usually plays with though.
2: Oh, is that, are you sure? I think it is.
0: I'd have to go back and look, but I don't I don't think it is the same person. Oh, okay. Because I think we're in a different part of town now too, right? Because we're, so, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was her, but I did like that part. <laughs> I thought that was really cute when she, especially because she was the one who did the trash talking at the beginning uh-huh. when she tells Roy that Roy on one leg is probably better than this fool on two legs. And so the fact that they kind of came together, I thought was really cute. But, you know, that all leads to like Roy's big epiphany when he's back in the pundit seat. Yeah. And, you know, they're asking him like, oh, you probably don't miss the cold. You probably don't, you know, and he really, and especially because they're, they're like laughing about like this new warm up routine. And we see Isaac just like making everyone laugh. And like, he's, yep. he's embodied that spirit of play again. And it's made the team relaxed. Everyone's just kind of like enjoying it together. And their question is, well, what's, what's gotten into him? Like he's been a shell of himself lately. What's gotten into him? And Roy realizes like, oh, I did that. Like I, I did that. And actually it is what I want to do. And so, yeah, I love that moment where he just has that epiphany. He gets up and it's like so awkward with him trying to take off his mic and and that's like a nice little call back to Sleepless in Seattle where he says "Jeff I have to go" you know and then that whole montage of him trying to actually get to the 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 stadium is so funny what was interesting is so we know from um and this was in one of the articles that I read that you know Higgins his ringtone is Rainbow for his wife right which is really beautiful mm-hmm. And he explains to Rebecca that it's their song because he heard it the very first time that he met her, like at the moment that he met her, right? Mm. And now we have Roy, who's like, like his love affair with coaching and, you know, this new season or role in his life, it also starts with the song Rainbow. And so I love that they called it back. And first of all, just such an incredible song. As it is. But once again, as Ted Lasso does, the way that they have placed the music in throughout this particular episode, or like the scenes that match the music. And so You start off with Rainbow and then as it's going through, like it starts to slow down when he opens the cab door and he's like waiting. So the music slows down again. And then like all through like the parts where they're running, it's getting faster. Mm -hmm. But the part that I really love is where they get to the point of there's a verse in there. It says, have you seen her dressed in blue? And they cut to Higgins' wife and she's dressed head to toe in blue. Oh, and then a few minutes later the verse is have you seen her dressed in gold and they cut to keely and she's dressed in gold and i'm just like oh i i love it and then at the end the music gets all warped right and that's right as nate realizes like oh roy's joining roy's joining the coaching staff and and he sees that ted's actually really happy right and you see the music get all kind of um, distorted and, and that. And so, again, just such a really beautiful job of, of how they did that.
2: Yeah, it gets very Cape Fear, Cape Fear near the end. There's like a Cape Fear type vibe to it. And you're like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. I just also just, ex- you know, the whole build up to it. Because, you know, talk about play, Right. So yeah. Isaac goes and plays this game, right? And then he goes and plays with his, you know, uh, teammates and talk about attunement. That is the, the biggest level of attunement where he is, has
1: to memorize all of their handshakes, And he's like, come up with all of these, which means like he's been learning this for a while, right? Yeah. So I just love that moment.
2: But I also loved, and, and this is not said enough, but Roy basically summarized of sports, TV, and radio, and everything about it, and how ridiculous it is, because it really is about them just complaining, to talk, guessing what might happen, even though they have no idea what happens. Then in the middle, then talking about why didn't they do what I said they were going to do, right? Like, and so detached from the game, but trying to pretend as if they're part of the game, even though they really are not, right? It's so just not anymore, you know. And he's like, why would I sit here and even though this is my zone of excellence, like I could do this for the rest of my life, there's no way I'm gonna do this. And then I loved when he did get up and he like looked the person in the eye and was the running from when Harry Met Sally, because that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. You know, yeah. because because they did the When Harry Met Sally interviews with the couple. Yeah. You know, they were like
1: and I was like, this is I love what Harry met sound. It's one of my favorite movies. And I love <laughs> that they're
2: you know, and then we met again, you know, and it was just like, and it was love. It was love. Again, attunement, right?
0: And they bring in the Titanic into that speech too, like at the very end. Yeah.
2: But the attunement, them repeating themselves. And then you see Higgins with his wife and they look at each other. and You're like, oh, my goodness. They looked at each other like it's the first time they've seen each other. It was just such a good vibe. Yeah. You know, and then Roy is like getting injured on the way. Look what he has to do. He has to shed his tie. He has to shed his suit. He breaks his knee again. You know, he has to give all that cash to get there. Then he has to give away his watch, you know, and he's still like he's shedding all the stuff just so he can get to the pitch. And then he has to still buy a ticket. Can't buy a ticket because he gave away all of his money. Right.
0: Well, he doesn't have to buy a ticket. Ted leaves him a ticket every week.
2: Right. There's a ticket waiting for him. Right. But he has to walk over there and ask for Reba, you know, and then even when he like growls at the kid, the kid is like, yeah, you're back. Like even the kid understands the significance. He he understands it more than the security guards that won't let him in. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But I loved that moment when he walks onto the pitch again.
2: Oh yeah! Oh,
0: and the whole stadium notices, and it's just like, oh, and, I loved. And they loved start that. singing
1: the song, mm-hmm. Roy Cat, yeah. Roy Cat. Yeah, he's, yeah. It was so can. amazing. Every fucking Cat. And it's yeah. like he really is here
2: and there and everywhere. Like he's showed up, and when he walks up, I I thought. I, I almost got a um, a Shawshank Redemption vibe. I don't know if you remember at the end of Shawshank Redemption with, uh, you know, with uh, Morgan Freeman. And I forgot the other guy's name. But, you know, when they meet at the beach, you know, at the end, and it's like such a classic scene of like seeing each other, you know, he looks right, he looks
1: right at him.
2: And I was like, oh, my goodness, he's getting these vibes. But then, but then, of course, the Jerry Maguire thing came out. And it was just like, you had me at coach. And I was like, let's
0: go. Well, and did you see Beard's reaction when he says that? No, What know what he said. Beard just like, is like, oh, like it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. But yeah, so we've got Jerry Maguire there. And even the speech that Ted gives to Roy, like after um, the whole thing with Isaac, he quotes when Harry met Sally, Jerry Maguire, Notting Hill, and that's just the first like part of it. And then at the end, he ends with Princess Bride with the as you wish. And so I thought that was that was very clever. Yeah, it was very
2: clever. Oh, wow. I didn't even pick up on that. And talk about how clever the writing is as well. You don't know a lot of times where the advice is going to come from. So Mm -hmm. they're literally having those falafels. And then that guy's like on my last day of medical school and is like, oh, this is going to be a good story. And it was just like, whoa, this dude's dropping knowledge. And he's Mm -hmm. like, and this is why I make the best falafel, you know, right? It's just like, oh, this is so interesting. And then, then of course, Roy's like, well, now this place is ruined, you know?
0: Yeah. But even at the falafel shop, I know that was funny. What's interesting is the guy references fathers and sons again. So we've already talked about it, like, towards the beginning of the season, that there's just a lot of references to fathers and sons. And so we see, like, him... refer to like Ted and Roy being father and son. And he says, no, I used to be his coach. And he says, well, it's the same thing, right? And so you've got Roy and Ted in that space of father and son, but then you've got Nate actually dealing with his father. And so again, that theme of fathers and sons popping up, which I thought was really interesting. I just want to talk briefly about Ted. And so I feel like in this episode, we're just seeing more of Ted kind of unraveling. You know, and so there was, you know, the scene with the doctor in the hallway and he's just so like over the top Ted, right? Like everything she says, he's got a joke.
2: Yeah. Like super awkward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and he even quotes like the lyrics from under pressure when she asked him how he's doing. And so he, he's not saying it, but like she, she sees right through it, which I really appreciate. And um, yeah. And so it just like, it just feels like there's something a little bit off um, with him, you know, throughout the episode. And the fact that he, like I said, didn't recognize, you know, like Nate was serious about wanting to like step in and talk to Isaac, you know, things like that, that I feel like he in the past would have been a lot more uh, attuned to, you know, where he would have picked up on that stuff. And so we see, I think that he's, he's still kind of out of sorts, you know, and that something is just not like, he's starting to unravel a little bit.
2: I see that a little bit, but I also see he's almost playing a secondary role throughout the entire show now. In many ways, like I think about the Christmas special, you know, the Christmas episode and like, you know, Isaac's running the Santa thing. Right. Or he defers a lot now. Like he brought in Nate. He brought in Roy to solve this issue. Right. And he's trusting his players more to actually help him out. At least he's asking for help. I think the one thing he's just kind of scared to do, though, is like to talk to the doctor. You know, he's just like, well, why don't you just take the. I just take the the door off, you know. If you if your door is open all the time, like like like, well, that would that would reduce the privacy. But okay, like
0: yeah, like what, like, (laughs) which is funny because he said the same thing to the press. My door is always open to you, you know.
2: Mm.
0: And so it's interesting. I just thought about that, but like yeah,
2: yeah. Sorry. So I don't see as much of him unraveling as I see him just. Having no idea what to do, but having said having said the fact that he has no idea what to do, he reaches out to Roy in this episode. You are like, okay, well, you know, at least he's he's trying to make progress, you know, um, as best as he can in his folksy way. But I think a lot of that those strategies that worked in the first season are not working now, and this is why it's so interesting the dynamic of the locker room drastically changing with Roy now there because now you have a healthy masculine to balance the divine feminine. And they can probably start doing much better that way because there's a little edge to it as well. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And this is where it's going to be interesting. What role Nate's going to play in all of this. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that was the weird thing at the end where it's just like, he sees Roy as a threat. And I was like, why, why is Nate seeing Roy as a threat? Like, y'all aren't on the same level. Like, y'all aren't like, you do different things for the, for the club. So I don't understand. But Nate sees him as like a direct threat to his assistant manager job. And he's like, that's, that also is quite fascinating that he sees it that way. I was like,
0: but I feel like that's a pretty human reaction because especially if you already are feeling insecure and small and then you have someone of Roy's stature come in I think it is going to make you feel, like, threatened and, you know, start to question, like, if anyone's going to see your value. And the reality is that, like, I mean, Nate is, he's strategic. Like, he Mm. understands strategy. Like, Roy, Roy's a good player, and he understands the mindset of the player, but when it comes to actual strategy, like Nate actually has a gift for this, you know, which is why they promoted him. But I can see how in that moment, like, yeah, like I if I, I feel like if I was in that position, I definitely would be like, well, what the fuck is happening? Like, and, and am I still going to have a job, you know, or like, what's my role going to be? And so I think, I don't know, to me, like, it, it feels like a pretty human reaction, but I agree, like, they play very different roles, and they're going to play very different roles, but I think in the moment, it's hard to remember that sometimes, you know? Mm. All right, so just a few little pop culture-y references. So uh, when Ted sets his alarm for p.m. instead of a.m., and he comes out and Beard says, you know, you got ready pretty quick... And he says that a man should only take as long as the song Easy Lover by Phil Collins and Philip Bailey to get ready. And so I thought that that was really funny. And uh, just a little fun fact. So Philip Bailey uh, used to live in my neighborhood. And so I was actually friends with his daughter in elementary school. What? I know. So random. And then the photos at the kebab shop. I thought that was actually really funny. And this one I did pause because I couldn't read them fast enough. But so you have George went on the furthest left side and he is the real life uncle of Jason Sudeikis for people who don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he used to be on the show cheers and we know that they've referenced cheers in other parts of the show in the past. Uh, But his, his photo says cheers to the best kebab in town. (laughs) And then. In the middle, you have Roy, and his just says, yum, Roy Kent. And then on the furthest right-hand side, you have Marcus Mumford. And so, as we know, Marcus Mumford has done a lot of the music on the show. He's a really good friend of Jason Sudeikis. And his his portrait says, your Donner kebab has no right to be this good. <laughs> I just thought that that was really funny. Yeah, and then we talked about a lot of the kind of rom-com references. Yeah, another, I think, really interesting and layered episode. Lots of stuff. A lot more than I realized.
2: That was the first time I realized, like, oh, the Rebecca-Ted thing is potentially going to happen. All right. Oh, I didn't realize
1: this was going down. Oh, is this going down? Oh.
2: I see you. So, yeah, that, that was, that was uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. So I'm, I'm here for that. I'm so here for that. Yeah. So what, were your, what, what are you taking away from this episode?
0: Uh, I think my biggest takeaway from this episode is just always coming back to finding the joy and the play in what you're doing. Because, again, I think as we grow up, that's the part that falls away first. And we get into this space of what it means to be, quote unquote, an adult, a professional. And I love the idea of just bringing play back into what I'm doing and, and finding that joy that I used to find when I was younger, you know.
2: Um, I'm taking away the self-compassion piece that you mentioned, building self-compassion as opposed to building self-esteem. That I just found really fascinating because the self compassion sp- space definitely then feels more of a we over me type space right and it's just and then it's this whole idea of like raising all boats right you know and i'm i'm going this week to run some workshops around like belonging right and and connection and in order for me probably to run them really well i'm going to have to have a certain level of self compassion for myself as i'm putting these together and not fall victim to perfection as i see play is the opposite of perfection and i actually see play as like the way in which to dismantle like supremacy right dismantle patriarchy is embracing that curious play-oriented adventure
0: Hmm. well thank you so much as always this was fun and uh, i I really appreciate you and i look forward to I really look forward to the next episode, so.
1: oh, the next episode, so do I. Thanks so much for this, ooh, let's
0: go. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Talk to you later. Thanks, everyone, see ya.
0: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram, or on our website, wwtldpodcast.com where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other Ted Heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed.
2: And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show Please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it.
0: Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening.
2: Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, What would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us.
0: So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do?